This is Jim Colburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here with a special edition of Energy Markets. Commodity Research Group consults on various aspects of commodity markets. Check out our website, commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our blog and our podcasts. We'd like to thank our friend Doug Stetzer of EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. You can check out his podcasts and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer or endorse any particular trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We are not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone, especially those not intended to listen. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. And because we have a special guest today, any opinion or suggested market actions expressed by guests are solely their own. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. Today is May 21st. Today, we are pleased to have our first ever special guest, Andy Furman, who for the last 10 years has been a risk management consultant with R-squared, or Risk Revenue. Risk Revenue, founded in 2001, is an independent commodity risk advisor that works with clients to build and maintain hedge programs. R-squared patented analytics assist clients ranging from S&P 500 e to private equity, utilities, and other consumers. We're located in Houston, and you can find more about Risk Revenue or R-squared at Risked Revenue. That's R-I-S-K-E-D, revenue.com. Andy Furman, before we get to you, um, Andy LeBeau is, is quickly going to uh, describe for us what's, uh, what's going on in the marketplace. We had a nice uh, rally today. Andy, why don't you uh, get us up to speed? Okay, thanks, Jim, and uh, welcome, Andy Furman. Uh, I'm going to do try to do this in uh, about a minute, if I can, um, to talk about what's going on in the market, and and a lot of the of what I'm saying is going to be germane to the discussion that we have, at least in terms of uh, of pricing. But uh, big day today, market up uh, over a dollar. The front end of uh, WTI is uh, right around 72.50. Brent uh, at 79.40. And of course, earlier uh, last week, it, it exceeded $80. Looking at, uh, we like to look, I know Andy looks at this, Andy Furman looks at this every day and that's the average prices for uh, the calendar and for 2018 the average price right now is right around $71. The market's backward dated, we're going to talk about that. Uh, 2019 average is right around 66 and the 2020 is uh, right around 61.75. Uh, Brent TIs still weak relative to uh, WTI. Uh, July at $7 under. Uh, December is 7.70 under, and, De- and December 9 is uh, 8.30 under. And I think we're going to talk about all that in the next couple of minutes. And in terms of uh, market commentary, 
the market continues its uh, bull run. We have discussed in our monthly podcasts uh, the, the bullish underpinnings to this market in terms of uh, fundamentals on both the supply and the uh, demand side. Inventories are now uh, right around the five-year average. Day supply, and, and that five-year average, it had been 300 million over the five-year average probably about a year ago. So inventories are now average uh, in terms of day supply. We're probably, we're also either, either average or maybe a little bit below average. So we've, we've seen uh, that big crude surplus dissipate and uh, the market is uh, now focusing on geopolitical developments in terms of uh, certainly the Iranian sanctions and what that's going to be mean for the market, uh, what Venezuela is going to mean for the market, uh, continuing uh, supply problems in, uh, in Venezuela and the potential uh, for sanctions being imposed by uh, the U.S. And finally, there's uh, supply issues in uh, Nigeria, which is uh, just what the market doesn't need losing. We're probably going to lose like two or 300,000 barrels a, a day uh, over the next uh, few weeks. So that, in a nutshell, is a very quick nutshell, is uh, what's going on in the market. But let's get to let's quickly get to how hedgers are uh, are dealing with it. Jim, yeah, Andy, um, let's Andy Furman. Let's just start off. Uh, Andy LeBeau just gave us a very bullish uh, look at the market. I mean, let's let's just focus on your producers for a moment. Um, what's the kind of conversations you're having with with those clients? Well, first off, uh, Jim and Andy, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I, I'm actually a regular listener, so uh, you, guys do right. great, you guys do a great job. <laughs> thanks, Andy. Thank you. Um, I want to say you're the one, but that's... <laughs> yeah, I was going to be me too. <laughs> uh, our producers, the, the ones that are, are, are typically, you know, hedging, they're, they're actually adding accretively. So... You know, if if, uh, if the numbers worked for them opportunistically at around fifty-five dollars a barrel, sixty dollars a barrel, um, they're also adding more hedges at sixty-five and, and seventy dollars here. So they, they they look at the better prices and and you know they're very comfortable in in layering into this and, and adding more hedges, especially at these higher prices. So when you say they're layering in, um, what's roughly what's we, this last blast up in the market. What's the time frame? Are they are they hedging barrels six months ahead, three months, six months, a year? How how does that work? Well, generally speaking, our our hedgers are are looking at, at the next two years. And as a matter of fact, I actually have some data um, in, in front of me, which which can kind of speak to that. Uh, in in terms of oil, uh, there was just a a bank report which had. Um, th these larger EMP companies hedging about 50% in balance of 2018 and 20% in Cal 19 and about 5% hedged in Cal 20. Uh, for our clients, uh, our clients are 64% hedged, 43% hedged, and 24% hedged um, in those timeframes. So you're getting a little bit better understanding of the fact that, well, our clients, they hire us because they actually have more of an interest in, in hedging. So you'd expect those numbers to be a little bit higher. And also, you know, we give them the confidence around their hedge programs so that, that they, are, you know, will be more willing to accept that price because that they understand what that number means to their bottom line budgets. So Andy, um, you know, 
I've read a lot of stuff about retail investors um, going back to things like the dot-com boom and bust and the retail investors tend to get really excited at the top of a market and they start buying and then they um, sell at the bottom of a market. I'm just wondering how you, it, 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 there must be some of that going on in, you know, hedgers there. I, I find when I talk to producers, they're eternally bullish and, um, how, how do you get them to actually pull the trigger and sell into a rally uh, or, you know, as, as the market's going higher and to keep them from selling everything at the bottom? Um, is that a conversation you have or you have you you have daily conversations where you don't need to do that anymore? That, Jim, that, that's a really good question. You know, I, I think that, uh, that that there isn't a single human being on, on the planet who doesn't get a little bit emotional about their decisions and, you know, that, that, that they get, you know, more bullish as prices are going up or they get more bearish as prices are going down. And so what we try to do with our clients is make sure that they understand that, uh, that they're always looking at their numbers, that, that they're looking at their, their budgetary numbers, their cash flow, and so that, that they can, uh, that we can put these, uh, you know, these results in front of them, you know, whether it's their EBITDA, their, their uh, top line revenue, it could be their IRR, what, whatever metric is relevant to them is the one that we report on. And then when they see those metrics getting better, uh, if they feel more comfortable with those numbers, that, that when they look at it from that perspective, they're, they're willing to make a decision at that point to incrementally uh, remove some risk. And then what we can also do is we can quantify the risk to make sure that, uh, that they're meeting their minimums. And so that that way, they can actually, as the market's going up, if they feel comfortable with, with what their, let's say, their, their cash flow looks like, they're able to you know, let the, uh, let, let the market do what it does as long as they're able to meet their minimums. Um, another issue I want to bring up, if you're, if you're uh, hedging out in 2019 or, you know, later in 2018 and 2020, and the market starts to rally, so, so even though you're, uh, you're, you're, your barrels are worth more, your hedge is, worth, is, is going against you, um, I've talked to producers in the past where the, uh, the banks wouldn't lend them any more money. Um, do you run into those kinds of problems? Oh, uh, that, that's certainly one of the issues. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, that there are, you know, a, more than a few issues in terms of building and maintaining an appropriate and effective hedge program. We actually divide them into four criteria, uh, what their portfolio looks like in terms of where their assets are, let's say whether they're oily or, or, or whether they're gassy, uh, whether they're producing in one location or another. Uh, so that's the portfolio dynamics. Then we also look at their risk tolerance. The third thing that we look at is their credit capacity. And the fourth thing, which everyone shares in, in a lot of the discussion here, you know, uh, on your podcast, the market opportunities that, you know, everyone shares the market opportunities, whether that's, you know, let's say uh, high options premiums or, or Katanga or backward-aged market. But uh, to answer your question, one of those four, the credit capacity issue, that's a, a really, really important part. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that they have adequate credit capacity. And if they don't, that, that we find ways to, to get them uh, so that, that they're able to be in a position to hedge. Uh, now, it's just as an example, anecdotally, uh, I just had a client on Friday who uh, I was speaking to one of their banking counterparties and one of the banking counterparties was able to literally double their, their hedge line 
so that they had adequate capacity to continue to hedge. So those are the kinds of things that we're working on all the time here. Yeah, you would think that as the price goes higher, the, the value of the company would be increasing, not, not decreasing. Well, so it makes, makes sense. That, that's right, Jim. Uh, you know, one of the things which is very interesting is, this, is that uh, there's this thing that, that all three of us here understand, and, and uh, it's called right-way risk, meaning that, you know, a, a counterparty that, uh, that allows, whether it's the exchange or, or whether it's an OTC bank, uh, you know, that they're on the other side of this hedge and the market's going up and the hedge is, is in the red and, and they have to wonder, oh my goodness, is, is the producer going to be able to make payment on this liability? Well, the, it's right-way risk because what's going on is this is that typically, uh, you know, 99 to, to 100% of the time, they're, uh, that client is not going to be overhedged. They're, they're going to be underhedged. Uh, they're not going to be fully hedged. And so, uh, a, a rising market, they're stronger. And and all that's going to end up happening is this is that instead of selling their physical barrel for fifty dollars a barrel, now they're selling it for seventy. And if and if someone hedged at sixty dollars, they'll be able to write the check for ten dollars. So it's really not much of an obstacle. And, 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 you know, the, the stronger banks, the, the banks that have the experience understand this and, and they're willing to extend the, uh, the hedge lines uh, accordingly. You mentioned your uh, clients' uh, portfolios. I'm, I'm interested, uh, we've been, Andy and I have been talking on the podcast and it's getting some press that the West Texas uh, producers are uh, having problems getting oil out of you know, out of the area, not enough uh, pipeline capacity. And I'm wondering if that enters into the hedging uh, decision. Is, it, is there less, I mean, I guess if you're only doing 20%, you assume you can get all of that out. But it, do they ever get to a situation where they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an old uh, grains guy where if, if a farmer hedged, uh, say, 80% of their crop and there was a drought, you start losing money on your hedge. And then the, when you go to get your uh, cash crop out of the ground, it's not enough to cover the head. So, so is there a situation like that where you have a risk of, uh, yeah, you can produce it, but you can't get it to market? Well, uh, that's really more in the, the physical end. And, uh, you know, for our uh, hedge advisory, we don't really deal with that very, very much. Uh, right. typically, typically, our clients are stronger. Uh, and and because they are stronger, they have very very good physical marketing of their barrels, so that they're able to get the the access to the uh, to the midstream people. You know the people like the Plains, uh, you know Plains All American, and uh, make sure that they have the adequate takeaway. And and if they don't, they they, they know that they have a problem, and that, that that's why they would certainly need to be hedging more aggressively to protect themselves. Well, I think that leads to the next. The next question, and that's basis risk, uh, which basis, of course, is, is a differential between the delivery point of the, of the contract and the physical barrel. And certainly we've seen the uh, WTI Midland basis trade all over the place, Andy, right? This <laughs> has been, you know, as weak as minus 15, minus 16. It's strengthening now. Uh, but how do, how do your producers, how do your clients or how do you recommend they, they try to deal with uh, some of the, some of the basis risks? What, what kind of instruments can they use? And, and, you know, what are you telling them right now? 
Well, uh, let's just talk quickly about some of the instruments. The, uh, the predominant instrument that they're going to be using is, is called a, a Midland versus NYMEX WTI uh, hedge. It's, it's basically, it's a cash product. It's, 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 I'm sorry, it's a financial, it's a financial product that, uh, that, that trades forward in the OTC market. Uh, it's also traded on Clearport. So you can actually trade it through, you know, through the exchange. And what it does is it settles in the differential between uh, Midland and, and NYMEX WTI. And, uh, you know, our clients are, are, are involved in that market in, in hedging and making sure that, that they're getting their, their barrels brought back to wellheads. So that an example is, is that they'll hedge WTI flat price. Using, Let's say, using futures or, or derivatives? Exactly. They'll, they'll use futures or swaps or collars. Right. You know, what, what, whatever they're using, they'll, um, they'll fix the, the, the flat price at, uh, at WTI, and then they'll bring the, the WTI that they are now short. They'll buy the WTI, and they'll simultaneously sell the Midland um, to lock in that differential. And depending upon, uh, you know, their outlook, uh, they'll, they'll hedge a portion of it or, or they could hedge, uh, you know, uh, even all of it. What were they doing at minus 15? I imagine not too much. Well, that's a very, very interesting question. Uh, we, we actually didn't have anyone, any of our clients that, that were busy at, at minus 15. Uh, you know, it, it was a very, uh, you know, difficult situation earlier this month. It was very emotional and, and, and typically, when, when we get to situations like that, uh, you know, it really plays back to one of the concepts that, that we as advisors try to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, handle our clients and manage our clients with. And, that, and that, that's explaining to them that they're better off making a series of hedge decisions. In other words, it's, it, that it shouldn't be binary. We don't want our clients, uh, you know, all at one time deciding, oh my God, I have this huge problem. I need, I, I need to hedge 100% of my next 24 months worth of production all at once. <laughs> you know, we want to, we want to make sure that, that they're not, you know, that they're not binary, that they're not, you know, doing it all or, all or nothing. So even if they were to come in at the worst moment and they were going to hedge, we would just make sure that that, that hedge decision uh, wasn't for, for too, too much volume and, and that it, it made it a little bit, you know, easier for them so that like, for example, if prices were to come back, you know, to levels that we're seeing now, that they'd have the ability to add more at a better level and, and be in more control. Now, because our clients are, are thinking about things in a series of, of hedge decisions, none of them were, were down there um, when, when things were, were getting, you know, a little bit, a little bit crazy and, and they, they weren't, you know, hedging at that level. And, uh, you know, so I, I think now, now that things are pulling back up here a little bit, I think our clients are, are, you know, looking at it a little bit more closely. Yeah. Are you seeing, so you're seeing, at least looking at it, are they, are they laying in anything here? Any hedges at, at these levels? Uh, a, a little basis, bit. A little. Yeah. yeah so. they're, they're, they're definitely a little bit more interested now than, than they were at the beginning of the month when, when, when things were, were, were really, really nasty. So Andy, you, you have been uh, doing this at risk revenues for 10 years. Does that, does that mean you, you joined at the beginning of 2008 when the market was going up to 147 or 
late <laughs> no. 2008 when it was done That's around a great question, Jim. 35. <laughs> so you, you probably came into this when there was a lot going on, is what I'm saying. Yeah, in, in 2008, I, I actually started on May 1st of 2008, and okay. the, the price hadn't peaked for a, another two months. And uh, one of the first things that I learned from uh, my boss, Wayne Pinello, uh, who was the person who actually founded uh, R Squared Risk Revenue, was that it's important when you have an opinion to share that with your clients, you know, that you don't want to be the, the two-handed economist who says, well, on the one hand, the market could go up, and on the other hand, the market could go down. <laughs> you know, you, you're not really providing a lot of value that way. And, uh, and so uh, even though I, um, our primary product is reporting on, on client risk, uh, our clients do solicit our opinion. And, and at that time, I remember that it was July of 2018, I'm sorry, 2008, when the market was coming off and, and Wayne went out on his uh, uh, Monday morning uh, weekly logical hedge, uh, which is the publication that, that, that we send out to all of our clients. And he, went, he made a pretty bold call at the time. He says, unless oil goes back above $135 on a weekly basis, he says, I think that we've seen the top. And, and, you know, uh, mm. actually, he, I, I, he was even a little bit bolder than that. I, I wished he would have said, I think. I, I, he just said that, that, that oil has stopped. And I, I looked at him and I said, how could you be so, so strong and, and bold? I was a little surprised. And his answer was that, look, you know, we, we don't get paid to ride the fence. And, and it's important in terms of using our metrics that, that we know that, that the trend is reversed until we can get that weekly close back above 135. So, uh, you know, it's like these are the techniques that, that we use. And we, what we try to do is we try to right-size the data so that for producer clients, we're not giving them, uh, you, know, you know, updates every half hour or every day because that's just too much noise for those, you know, types of clients. That, that you know, they're more interested in uh, what's going on on a weekly basis, what's going on a monthly basis. So if the market moves up and down inside of an options expiration, they don't honestly look at that, you know, that granularly. It's more important for them to be looking at, at data on, on a larger time frame so that they're making better informed decisions without all the noise. Well, that, that brings me, I'm not going to talk about exactly where the market's going now, but I do want to talk about the backwardation in the market and hedging techniques. Um, and, in terms of what you what you recommend and what you like to say, I mean, it's very tempting here to do uh, to sell in the front and you know hope or hope that the curve flattens out. Is your recommendation are your recommendations to try to match the timing to the timing of the of the instrument? take more risk and, and lay it on the, put your hedge on in the front of the curve or, um, you know, the back of the curve, you know, take some risk on, on, uh, on where the curve is going. Um, you know, how, how, how do you handle that? Well, uh, I'm going back to uh, what we said earlier. Uh, what we really try to focus on for our clients is to be taking a look at, at what their numbers say on a budgetary perspective. So if we're able to bring numbers, let's say for 2020, to a budgetary perspective where they have a certain amount of risk that they cannot afford to keep, uh, let's just say for argument's sake that, that they, they need um, $200 million worth of EBITDA and they only have about $150 million worth of EBITDA in, in the worst case, that we can quantify 
the, the hedge so that, that they're able to do a certain amount, not all, but maybe a, a portion um, to bring that number up to that 200 million minimum uh, that they're targeting for success. And this way, they're able to, to manage the success and, and it's, it's a little more independent of, of what the price is. It's, it's more company specific to what that company needs. But that's for Cal 20. So you're saying to your clients, all right, for Cal 20, do Cal 20, right? That's for correct. Cal 19, do 19. Don't, you know, don't do Cal 19 in Cal in, you know, in July of 18. And, you know, maybe we'll roll the hedge over and hope, you know, and take some risk. Yeah, it's it's really apples to apples. We're segmenting it, and we're saying that that look at Cal 20 for Cal 20, and look at Cal 19 for Cal 19, and and make those decisions. Uh, you know, you know, fairly uh, compartmentalized, and and so that you get a, a, a you know curve right now, which is backwardated, and and for us, like you know, for example, we've got. Uh, Cal 20 over $60 a barrel right now. And, and to us, uh, you know, fundamentally, you know, granted, there's a, there's a lot of geopolitical, you know, built into the marketplace, but uh, it's still a very, very good price. And, and given the, the fact that we're near a record in net speculative activity, we're very, very comfortable in having our, our clients, uh, you know, be willing to, um, you know, uh, you know, lay off risk and, 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 you know, put hedges on at what we consider to be uh, opportunistic hedge levels. Well, you're, you're way ahead of what the average is for Cal 20, right? That's according right. That, that's the, right. According to the, the data, it does look, it does look like the back cows are beginning to rally a little bit relative to the uh, front. I mean, some of the backwardations. Well, out. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you an example here. Okay. Okay. So, so right now, uh, our averages in, in Cal 20 are, are 24% versus 5%. Uh, yeah, that, that's certainly a lot more. What I would, what I would uh, give as an example, though, is, is that one of our clients, uh, which is a publicly listed company, uh, they were the ones who were aggressive enough to hedge Cal 16 at $90 a barrel. Okay. That's a, that's a nice trade. Okay. So they hedged uh, Cal 16 at $90 a barrel when, when the forward curve, when the, uh, when the, you know, the forward curve was backwardated. And, and so, so basically this was in the middle of 2014 when oil prices were over at a hundred dollars a barrel. And, and, you know, it, it turned out that, that those were very, very good hedges. And one of the reasons why they were so successful is because they were consistent. It wasn't anything you know, incredibly glamorous at the time that they, were, that, that they were doing it. They were willing to accept a lower price because they because they had a consistent approach to their hedge program, and 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 that's what delivered the success for them. And so, um, if I have the same client today that was doing that, then I would be telling them consistently, you wanna you wanna do what you've always been doing, what works, and and in this case, uh, that means hedging Cal twenty. Right, which is it. So they're using discipline and consistency. Some hedgers don't always do that, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's a really, really important point. In other words, if you're going to be, um, if you're going to be consistent and you're not going to hedge, well, you, you, you better start to have a, a good reason to hedge. Uh, because, and, and we see that with the airlines, where, where the airlines, they won't hedge, they won't hedge, they won't hedge. And then all of a sudden, they get religion at $100 a barrel and the market goes down. So, 
the, the important thing is, is that you really want to be a consistent hedger. Well, that brings us to something. That brings us to the next question, uh, which you've just brought up, which is consumers. Okay, so the market has just made a huge move here, right? And we're we're up we're up around eighty dollars brand seventy two fifty WTI, and uh, product prices also have rallied, obviously, with, in line with crude a little bit more than crude. So, if I'm a consumer, what do I do here? You know, I've missed, I probably have missed, you know, a lot of the, you know, I've missed this move, but I'm coming in, I'm, you know, what do you tell a consumer after this big of a price rally? Okay, so for the consumer, instead of modeling their revenue, we're, we're modeling their costs. And what we're, what we're making sure of is that their, um, their, their, minimum, their, their maximum for cost is being managed and, and that they're able to hit that, uh, at, you know, or better. And so we're, we're advising them essentially, you know, inverted. In other words, for a producer, we're saying that, that this is a very good price and that you should be willing to accept that price opportunistically. And that if this is not an opportunity for, uh, that, you know, in reverse, it's not an opportunity for the consumer. So, so basically for a consumer at, at, at current prices, we would be recommending for them to be a little bit, uh, you know, just to, focused on the risk in terms of, of what their maximum cost, what their maximum allowable cost is and hedging to that and, and, and keeping everything else for downside participation. And it, I just have a quick question on um, your option. I mean, your strategies to hedge, you mentioned doing uh, swaps features that you're, how do, how do you determine, um, is it driven by the customer, by the, by the market, all of the above, uh, what strategies you use? Um, you, you know, we know that Mexico likes to buy puts. Uh, do some people like to buy puts and sell call, uh, calls, uh, do three ways? Uh, it, 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 can you just address that first? Uh, for, for sure, Jim. Uh, you know, it really does vary from client to client, but uh, overall, uh, we, we do try to advise them, you know, let, let's say we, we have a client that, uh, you know, is predisposed to using one instrument. We, we might try to push them a little bit more in one direction. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example in terms of uh, specifically the, uh, like for a producer, the purchase of a put is, is probably one of the most bullish views. And then uh, the, the use of a collar is somewhat like where you want to get a little bit of participation, but you're not necessarily, uh, you know, convinced that the market has a lot further to go. And then, and then the use of swaps, which is, which is the, the most, uh, you know, common, uh, you know, method. It's, it's the most efficient and transparent method. And, and, and that's more aggressive in terms of locking in that price. So like, for example, if we have a client that would be thinking about using collars uh, in the current environment, uh, and, and we're and we're, we're higher priced, we might try to steer them towards a swap. Or if we have a client that, that's looking at puts, we, we might try to push them to, to using uh, the the costless collar. Now you can think about this in terms of Mexico, how how Mexico has been using a lot of uh, you know floor fixed premium purchases. Well, in a situation where the where the price is higher now, because the price is higher. 
uh, you want to be writing, let's say, that, that cap against the floor so that it's zero sum, that it's costless. So you, now you're doing a costless collar. And, and, and to go even one step further, when the strikes become identical, essentially a costless collar is a swap. So that what we would do is we would try to tighten up the, uh, the collar and, and make it essentially a swap. And so, you know, it's like, you know, Mexico is not one of our clients, but if they were, I would be telling them to be using collars or, or swaps instead of the floors right now, because why, why pay the premium when the price is so good? Right. You get a, you, get a, you can establish a higher floor. Exactly. Uh, and then we can't with a put. Um, Andy, um, this is a good time to wrap it up. If you have, we have a lot more, we could probably do this, uh, for another couple of hours. Well, I have two uh, more questions before we, before we, have, we wrap, wrap up. Because I, I, I have one thing that I, I want to ask Andy, and this is what we talked about earlier on Brent TI. You know, T, Brent is now a $7, $8 premium to WTI, even going out down the curve. If I'm a uh, U.S. producer, should I be, or have you seen any of your, your client base hedging in, uh, hedging in Brent? Do you recommend that? Um, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, we, we have certain clients. Remember uh, one of those four things we've got portfolio dynamics, risk tolerance, credit capacity, and market opportunities. And, and so if we have a client uh, whose assets in, in terms of their portfolio are, uh, you know, let's say in the Gulf of Mexico or, or in the, they're in the Eagle Ford and, and they're receiving LLS pricing mm-hmm. or, or if they're in Alaska and, and they're, they're essentially waterborne, uh, they, can, um, they can do some, some LLS hedging or, or some Brent hedging. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll look at the relative pricing uh, compared historically and we'll see if there's an opportunity there to to accept that price and and right now it's getting it's getting closer to the point where where th- th- there might be some opportunities for them to actually take that that LLS price or that brand price. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I just did the minute and uh, the minute waltz for crude earlier. I just want to talk about gas very very briefly because I know I know that. Uh, you guys do a lot of natural gas. Um, I guess if you can, Andy, <laughs> like, uh, you know, a minute and a half or less, uh, uh, just uh, a quick talk okay. about natural. All right. So so I'm in an elevator. I, I've got the 10-second elevator on natural yeah. gas, which is yes, pretty much did. the way that, that the whole industry works, right? I mean, <laughs> Absolutely. Everyone loves oil. And, and if you're right. a gas producer, you're like the wicked stepchild. Right. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, gas is very, very important. And uh, from our view, we, we actually are very constructive on gas pricing. And, and that's based on the fact that we've got, uh, think, think about what just happened this winter. We had the second largest drawdown in, uh, in, in winter inventories in the last like 10 or actually since going back, I think, to 2003. So that's like basically the last 14 years. And the only one that was bigger than that was in 2014 when we had the polar vortex, right? So, so, so we had a really, really strong drawdown, um, despite the fact that this year, this winter was 5% below normal on HCD demand, you know, the, uh, the heating degree days. Mm-hmm. So, so we backed out from that. Uh, it's not rocket science. If you're having a huge withdrawal 
and and temperatures are actually still you know uh, above normal, and uh, you know we just figured that non-weather demand was was pretty strong. Right. So between between non-weather demand being strong, and and inventories coming out of this winter being uh, being low, and we've got five LNG of uh, five five BCF a day of LNG demand in 2019. So we're constructive on gas and we, we think that gas can, can work its way up to like, you know, three, three and a quarter. So looking at your parameters, if you were a consumer, you'd be looking to maybe lock in here. As oh, yes. a producer, you might be, you might wait a bit. Yeah, for, for consumers. Okay, guys, we're yeah. going to have to, we have to clean this up. This has All been right. uh, commodityresearchgroup.com. We've been talking with Andy Furman at Risked Revenue. You can reach him at Risked revenue.com.